This is the word which derives, uh, derives from our English word, axiom, which means to be of equal weight. Paul is calling us to strive to walk in a manner worthy of all the blessings that have been lavished on us in chapters 1 through 3. In other words, as you consider all that Christ has done for you, Christian, walk in a way that says to the world, Christ has bought me. I live for him. That's the way God wants us to walk, to walk in a way that screams to the world, I belong to someone, and it's the Father in heaven. Walk in a way that the world would know that you are a child of God. Or walk in a manner that shows others God is your father. Like that thing, I said, who's your daddy? I, said, should just be, I don't know why it just came to me, but who's your daddy? I, should just be, I don't know where that came from, but, 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 but yeah, who's your daddy? You know, it should be, be very clear. When, when someone is part of our family, we, we expect them to act in a certain manner. We, we, we expect them to act in a way that lines up with our family, to act in a way that does not bring shame on the family. It is like when I came to pick up Dekai from, from camp last week, and, and I come in, and they say, uh, uh, Dex, we need to talk to you. Dekai has been acting up. I said, he what? <laughs> yeah, they said, uh, yeah, he had, you, you, you know, he was uh, bad behavior today. He was right next to the one who was telling me. I immediately turned my eyes to him, and, and I looked at him and said, boy, if you don't stop acting like you don't got a father and a mother at home, I told him, you know we don't act like that in our house. You know that. So stop acting like you don't know that. In other words, you carry my name, son. Therefore, we don't act like that. Now note that I didn't say, son, you better act right if you want to keep my name. I did not tell him that. No, 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 no. You have my name. Therefore, you act this way. It is who we are that makes me, it is who he is that makes me require more of him. Before we have expectations, we have placement. God makes us who we are before he ever asks us what to do. Amen, 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 amen. And one writer says, Paul urges us Christians to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called. This does not mean that we should try to deserve, I want to really highlight that. This is not saying that we ought to deserve our place in God's favor. Jesus has done that for you. You can't earn your right standing with God. Jesus has done that. It means that we should recognize how much our place in God's favor deserves from us. The focus is not on our worth but on the worth of our calling. One look at chapters 1 through 3, and you will begin to see the immeasurable worth of this calling. In chapter 1, verses 4, Paul said, God chose us for himself 
before the world was created. God had you in mind before the world created, believer. God thought of you before you did anything good or bad. God thought of you. In verse 5, in chapter 1, he predestined us to be children in that, in, in that means heirs of all our father owns. One day, everything, it will, you will recognize that everything is yours because you are in Jesus. Every, God has given you everything. And one day you would know that with so much clarity, you're going to fall on your faces one day. The other blessing we see is all of seven. He sent Christ to atone for all, all of our trespasses. Church, may we never, never grow callous to this. That he atoned for every last one of them. There'll be no church if he didn't atone for your trespasses. All there'll be is guilty consciences in here. Jesus changes that. In verse 13 of chapter 1, he seals us with his Holy Spirit to preserve us forever. If you wake up believing tomorrow, it is because God lives in you. That's why you'll wake up believing tomorrow. Not because of yourself in your own strength. You wake up believing tomorrow is because God has sealed you with his Holy Spirit. And he is present with you. When you want to give up and, 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 and abandon the faith and, and something causes you to keep going, that's the Holy Spirit. That's not you. You know you wanted to throw your faith away time and time and time and time again. And the Holy Spirit believing, keep believing you, talking in your ear, prompting your heart to what? Keep believing, keep believing, keep believing, keep believing, right? In chapter 2, verse 7, he promises to spend an eternity increasing our joy in the immeasurable richness of his grace. Do you know that it will take God in eternity to lavish his grace on you? And forever God is going to be lavishing his grace on you. God will never, never, never be boring ever. He's not boring now. The only reason why he's boring to us is because we have sin in our lives and we think that other things are better than him. But the day is coming when God is going to lavish on your life the fullness and the greatness of his glory. And it is coming. It is coming. Paul said, it will be so glorious, it will make the things of this world look like nothing. They will pale in comparison to you. After 10,000 years of being with God, he will still not be done lavishing all that he is. I told the young people, I said, you know, after a while we get tired of certain uh, famous people that we like, whether, whether it's Chris Brown or, or Kodak Black, they got all these strange names now, right? Like, what's Kodak Black? Pictures of blackness? I don't know what it is. But anyways, I said, but at some point they get boring. Chris Brown can only do so many dance moves. All right? I seen that spin. Uh, Michael Jackson did that, buddy. All right? You're not impressing me, but God will impress us forever. That blessing is coming your way. Chapter 3, verse 10, he has given us the mission as a church to display his wisdom. Even to the principalities and the powers in the heavenly places. God has ordained that his church shows off for the prince of darkness to show him how wise God is. 
Can you imagine when Jesus was crucified how confused Satan was? How do you defeat death by death? He has, so when Paul says, therefore, he has all of this in mind. All of these blessings are in mind when he arrives to chapter 4. God the Father is no dead be dead. He takes care of his children. He takes care of his children. So when Paul says walk in a manner worthy of the calling, all that has been true for us, church, the gospel of Jesus Christ has made all of that true. Jesus bought all of that with his blood for you. Every single one of those promises, every single one of those truths has been bought by the blood of Jesus. It is who you are. You don't have a dead be dead. Your heavenly father shifts you. Now Paul shifts gears and he tells us how to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. He helps us to understand how to walk now that we have been regenerated. He tells us how to walk now that we are no longer spiritually dead. He tells us how to walk now that we are united to Christ. He tells us how to walk now that we are dead to sin. Now this is how you should walk, being that God has transformed you. And he says that we should walk in unity. One way we walk in a manner worthy of the calling is that we walk in unity, church. Verses 2 through 3 tells us how to maintain that unity. God wants us to walk in unity, and verses 2 to 3 helps us understand how to walk in unity. He says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Paul gives us a description of what our character should be with the end goal of maintaining the bond of peace. What Paul is asking us to do, church, is not easy. I want us to be clear on this. What he's asking us to do here, this is not easy for us to do because we're a bunch of imperfect, prideful people trying to do life together. That's not easy. It's not easy. It's not easy. So first, he requires that we have humility and gentleness. Understand that in Paul's day, humility was looked down upon the same way it is today. It was considered a slave-like quality to be humble. In the Greco-Roman period, they looked down on that. They desired to, to be self-sufficient and boastful about their self-sufficiency. No one wanted to be dependent on anyone. That's not what you wanted because it made you look weak. But Christianity of versus that. You know, that mentality of, I don't need anybody but myself. I can do bad all bad. I don't need them anyway. I can't stand you. I can't stand you. This is the kind of attitude that Paul is coming against. I don't like your head. I don't like your head neither. I was looking for a reason not to like you anyways. This is the kind of stuff that, that is opposite of humility. People who say things like, I can do bad all by myself. These are the people tripping because someone has tripped over their greatness. And I oppose they wouldn't be so messed up if, if they knew who they really were. If, if they knew how jacked up they really are, they, they, they wouldn't trip over, over the waitress not coming to them quick enough. 
took you 10 minutes. You're getting a dollar now. That's the kind of arrogance that we can have. And oh, how much disunity exists in the church because of pride. Pride is a killer. We all hate by nature to be in a position where we are in need of other people. We hate it. We don't like to be weak. And some of us opposes anyone who steps on our ego. Some of us have anger and bitterness in our heart that has set for so long that it is hard as a rock. And before we will let anyone hurt us again, we will separate from everyone. You will not hurt me ever again. That we separate from people, even our brothers and our sisters. And some of us may not separate physically, but we will separate even spiritually from all people breaking the unity that God has called us to. And I urge you in this room, if that is you, that you would come to repentance and turn from bitterness and anger. The only way we will become humble in this church is if we see the great blessing of the gospel. It's the only way you're going to become humble if you understand the gospel. All of us. We have received blessings so great, words would not fit to express the blessings that God has given us. The only thing that is fitting to express all that Christ has done for us is humility. Is humbleness. When the God of the universe dies for your wretched, lying, cheating, stealing, fornicating, no good self, the only response is humility. We are wicked to the core. And this God loves us. We need to understand how wicked we are. We're not good people. By nature, I'm about Dexter. I'm a me, 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 me. Forget God. Right? Some of us think less of God than the carpet in our houses every day, and he still loves you. That is amazing. That's not small at all. And it ought to to cause this humility to come in our souls and to say, how can you love me? You know what I did last night. You should have killed me in my sleep, and you kept loving me. I don't get it. And it ought to to bring about in your soul this smallness before God. It's kind of like the 12-year-old in the gym at Epic. He's playing basketball with 11-year-olds and boasting about how good he is, right? (laughs) Shit, you see me, Dax? Yeah, I seen you. I got some bigger guys coming here soon. I want to see what you're made of then. <laughs> yeah, you good, huh? All right, we're going to see when them big dudes get here. Threw him in there. He went somewhere and sat down. <laughs> sat down. I don't want to play no more. I don't want to play no more. I'm done. But there is something about when we feel great about ourselves, when we're in the presence of something that's greater that causes humility. And when we see ourselves at the foot of the cross, it brings about this humbleness. You can't even come to the gospel apart from humility. 
You can't come. It's, it's, called, it's, it's saying that you're a sinner that can't save yourself. How do you come? You got to come like a child. I have nothing to offer. Humility. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection, sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, in of one mind, do nothing for selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. That's in the Bible. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Totally contrary to what America says. Have this mind among yourselves, which is, in, which, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form, being humbled, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. If Jesus could be humble, you can be humble. You're not better than Jesus. You're not. You're not better than him. And he was God and he humbled himself giving us an example of how we ought to humble ourselves, not thinking highly of ourselves. The biggest issue you have in your life is thinking highly of yourself. If you're one inch off the ground, you're too high. You've got to get low. Church, we cannot have unity if everybody is puffed up on themselves. We ought, we ought all to be humble around here, all of us. I don't care what you have accomplished. I don't care how many degrees you got. I don't care how many cars you got. I don't care how, I don't care how much street cred you got in here. I don't, care how many, I don't care how much street smarts you got. I don't care if you won the spelling bee in third grade. No one cares. You're going to go to hell with the spelling bee certificate. It's not going to get you into heaven. It's not going to happen. Have you won the most memory verses in Sunday school? Apart from Jesus, we're all going to hell in here. Every last one of us. Okay, so Paul talks about humility, and then he accompanies it with gentleness. Humility will always come with gentleness, or gentleness will always come with humility. Gentleness and humility go hand in hand. The gentle person understands. That all he has been, all he has secured is by the grace of God. This gives him this inner strength to be a forgiving person who doesn't exercise retaliation. It is hard not to retaliate. Although you may be justified in it in your mind, leave it to God. The world would consider this weak. I tell you, be careful who you get advice from, right? Girl, you need to come over there. You need to go take care of your business. You know, that's the kind of stuff that they, they kind of pump you up a little bit. Go on over there. Uh-uh, you don't let them talk to you like, mm, 
I wouldn't be that wretch now, right? Mm, I'd be over there right now. Wretch. And some of y'all say wretch now. I'd be that wretch now, right? But no, God has called us to be forgiving and gentle people. The gentle person, even in the fierce defense of others in the truth, as John Wycliffe says, is mild. Gentle is not evidence of weakness as the Savior describes himself this way. He says in Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, I am gentle and lowly in heart. Pride and self-promoting arrogance sows disunity, but humble, gentle men and women will strengthen the unity of the church. And I believe we can be this by God's grace. So Paul says we need to be humble, we need to be gentle, and you think that he'll stop at that because that's hard enough. But he throws more on there, and he says patience in forbearing with each other. Those who walk in unity are not only humble and gentle, but as the verse says, they act with patience in forbearing with one another in love. There will be no unity if there is no patience in forbearing. I know this because we are all sinners. That's why I know that it won't work without it. If you've been around sinners long enough, it is a matter of time until you can't stand at least one of them. It's just at least, it's going to be one. I mean, even your, your favorite, you think of your favorite person in the world, they are at least a jerk at best, or at least sometimes. Right. At least sometimes they do something that irritates you. And the only people you need to exercise patience and forbearance on is imperfect people. That's why he says forbear. He didn't say fair, forbear perfect people. You don't need that. Imperfect people at some point will test your nerves. You will test your own nerves. However, God has called us to be patient and not short-tempered. We ought not to be flying off the handle around here, although I know it's hard. Believe me. People say, Dexter, you're always happy. Is there a time you want to fly? Oh, there's times that I want to fly out the handle. But I, by the grace of God, I'm like, no, 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 no. I can't let that out. I don't, I, y'all don't even like Dex. Why are you always bothering that guy? That guy's dead. I'm trying to put him to death. But you want to wake him up. I had to learn this early on in my marriage. I would get bent out of shape waiting on my wife to get dressed. I'm like, you know we have to be at such and such place in 10, in 10 minutes. I mean, uh, we, we have to be at such and such place, right? I'm like, I'm, like, I'm like, she knows this. And you know it takes you five hours to get ready. So why would you take the last 10 minutes to get dressed? I don't, I don't understand it. And so I'm sitting there, you know, in my chair, and I'm fuming, and I'm saying comments under my breath, or at least I thought I said it under my breath, because somehow they hear you anyways. And so I'm like, legit just mad, and next thing you know, we're arguing, and now we're not going anywhere. <laughs> or if we are going, we're both upset at each other. And so now when you get there, you got to act happy, right? <laughs> like everything's all good. You know when we go in there, we're good, right? All right, we're good, we're good. We'll talk about it later, all right? We're cool, right? But I had to learn that I need to value unity over being on time. I needed to value unity over being on time. 
And when I learn to express that it is more important to have you with me than to go without me, she began to get better on being on time. We must learn to value unity, even in our marriages. Now, I don't say that I do that perfectly all the time because she's sitting over there, and I don't want to look at her right now because I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what she's thinking. She may be like, I, I, he, he, he got some ways to go, which I would say amen to. When Paul tells us to be patient and forbear with one another, he says in love. I'm glad he added in love. God is calling us to do more than tolerate one another. It is more than I forgive you, jerk. I can't stand you, but I forgive you. I, forget, I don't want to be around you, but I forgive Yes, I forgive you. I forgive you, but I don't like you. It's this contradiction here. That's why he says in love. Love ought to fuel our relationships. This is not a shallow love that Paul is calling us to. It is a deep, tender affection for one another. Each quality that Paul gives in this verse are not external things. They are all attitudes of the heart, humility, gentleness, patience, forbearance, and love are all produced by the Spirit. You try to do this on your own, you're going to fail miserably. These are not things of the flesh. These are things of the spirit. He does it by the gospel, continually reminding us of the patience of our Savior. You want to draw some strength for patience? Christ. You can't display more patience than Christ. He continues to be gracious to us, although he has all power in his hand. That's a lot of patience. He could destroy us, but he does not. He knows us from the inside out, and he continues to love us freely. It is by the gospel power that the Holy Spirit takes people from different backgrounds, economic, ethnic, and causes them to dwell in unity. And when we dwell in this kind of harmony, we walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. But there's something else that Paul adds to this, and we see this in verses 4 through 6. We see the origin of our unity He says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Now, many New Testament scholars believe this may have been an early church confessional hymn. It is sort of like the song we sang today. I believe in God, our father. I believe in Christ, the son. I believe that our God is three in one. In the last three verses, we see that our unity is rooted in the unified saving work of the Trinity. He starts with the Spirit. He says that the first thing we see is the person and work of the Spirit. I want you to see the Trinity at work in our unity, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, all at work to unify the church. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. We see this in verse 4. The Holy Spirit makes one body the church. There are not several churches. There is one church. There is only one. There may be many members, but there is one church 
For by one spirit we were all called. I don't care if you're a Jew, a Greek, a slave, free, short, tall, yellow, brown, white, male, female. It doesn't matter. The same spirit has called all of us. And when he called us, he called us to one body. The Holy Spirit coordinates and orchestrates and empowers the body of Christ. You want to know how this thing is staying together? It's by the Holy Spirit. You know what keeps the church empowered is the Holy Spirit. If I had to depend on any of you, I would lose my mind trying to keep the church together. People are so fickle. The second person he points out of the Trinity is Christ. He points him out in verse 5. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. We know who the one, and no one else, it is Jesus. We have one Lord, and we bow to no one else. The only Lord I have is the one who rolls up like Boston again, like I got this, I've conquered everything. That is my Lord. The one who walks with me when I want to lose my mind, that is my Lord. The one who loves me and protects me and keeps me. And it doesn't matter if you're black or you're white or you're broke or you're rich or you're a slave. If you got long hair, if you got short hair, if you got flat shoes, you got high heels on, it doesn't matter. Jesus is Lord of all of us. Philippians 2.11 says, in every tongue... We'll confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And I love 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3. It says, therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is a curse. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by who? The Holy Spirit. Our union is rooted in the fact that we believe in the same Lord. If we lose our way, we look to Jesus. That's what we look back to. And if we believe in the same Lord, we belong to the same kingdom. I'll tolerate a lot of things, but I will die on the heel of the gospel. The question of water baptism or spirit is not a question here. The text is presenting one shared baptism and one faith, bringing about one hope. Our hope is that we eagerly await a Savior from heaven. We are awaiting a blessed hope, the appearing of our great God and King in all of his glory. So one thing that unites us is that we not only hope in the same Lord, but we have the same ending in our hope, which is the glory of Christ to come. Therefore, while we wait, let us encourage one another and remind one another to keep pressing forward. When you see your brother and sister wanting to give up, you look over at them and you tell them the glory is coming. And when we want to lose our minds, let us look over at one another and say, you just keep going. The glory is coming. And when you don't know where you're going and your kids are losing their minds, Let us encourage one another and say the glory is coming. The glory is coming. Because one day, if you have suffered with Jesus, you will also reign with him. Over angels, over demons, and over all of your enemies. One hope, one church, one Lord. But one last thing. 
there is only one father of all of us. When it is all said and done, church, we all have the same father. I have six siblings. We are all different. One like working out. I wish I had that. I wish I had that in my spirit, that spirit to work out, but I don't, I don't have that. I'm different in many ways, but at the end of the day, we are of one family. There are times in our family that we will fall out and we will argue. But at the end of the day, we are family and we love one another. Church, we may be different in plenty of ways. We may not agree on everything. We may fall out from one minute to the next. But at the end of the day, we must remember that we all have the same father. So church, our unity is ultimately rooted in these seven grand unities. Number one, one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. So know this, we are a unified church and nothing can change these seven truths. They are true even when we don't act like it. These truths are not subject to us. Thank God that they are not subject to us. Our unity is ultimately rooted in the finished work of Jesus Christ, not how well we're getting along. We are covered in the finished work of the Holy Spirit, of the Son, and of the Father, and no one can break that. No one. We are held together by this. And if you are hearing me correctly, then you're saying, why is there so much disunity outwardly? Why are there so many Christians that look divided? If you're thinking that, you're, that's a good question. And what I would say is look at Hebrews 10:14. He says, for by a single offering, he has perfected for all times those who are being sanctified. You see, this verse says you are perfect on the basis of what? On the basis of the finished work of Jesus Christ. But it also says that you are still being made perfect. What God is doing is God has declared that you are perfect through the finished work of Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit is sanctifying you so that you can line up with that truth. We are unified by the finished work of the Trinity, and God is at work lining his church up so that we would reflect what he has already said to be true. He wants us to make haste in being unified. There is no room for rivalry and fractions in God's church. Brothers and sisters, it is incumbent upon all of us to do our best to lead in unity, in peace with one another. And oh, how easy it is to run away. Oh, how easy it is to get angry and run away instead of face one another in love. So my question to you is, do you love your brothers and sisters? Do you love them like family? You do know you will spend eternity with one another. You do know that. We have to be able to lay down our mask around here and to be real. God has not called us to be like the husband and wife who just cohabitates together. It's not what he's calling us to do. We're just together so that we can make it or pay bills. That's not what God wants. God wants us to dwell together in relationship with one another. We will have our moments around here where we fall out, but let us be peacemakers. 
We will need to be those who strive to love one another, not only in word, but in deed. Paul in Philippians, under the divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit, encourages two brothers and sisters in the book of Philippians who are in disagreement with one another. He says, you guys need to get over that and agree in the Lord. So here are 10 ways we can help the unity around him. First, we must draw near to God. You will not be in unity if you do not draw near to the Lord. Number two, we must spend unhurried time praying for each other. Quality, unhurried time, praying for your prayer does a lot in uniting God's church together. You pray for someone, it is hard for you to be angry at them. Pray for one another. Not, not I pray for, for Don. Amen. No, I'm talking about stop and pray for him. Number three, spend some unhurried time over coffee or a meal. Slow down and spend time with each other. Get to know each other. There are amazing stories around here. Number four, open up your homes. Allow your children to play together. And I really want to encourage this across ethnic lines. We need to be around one another and to grow these deep relationships. Number five, let us read the Bible together. Read the Bible together. Number seven, six, serve together. Serve together. Number seven, forgive one another. Forgive each other. You are going to offend people. And you will be offended. Can you forgive? This is what, you, you need to go directly to the individual. Go to them. Talk to them. Open your mouth. Let's not be cowards about this. Go to your brother and you tell him what you can't get over. I don't care how petty it is. If you can't get over it, go talk about it. Don't be too petty, though. Please. Oh, my goodness. I'm like, seriously? You're mad about that? Okay. Be willing Number eight, be willing to be honest and have tough conversations. There's no unity unless we have tough conversations. We just got to have the hard one. Number nine, have grace in all things. And number 10, ask yourself, is what I'm doing harming and advancing the gospel? If what you're doing is stopping the gospel, you ought to pull away from it. That ought to be the thing that anchors you the most and decides all of your decisions. Does it advance the gospel? Bethel Gary, as we dwell on the unchangeable truth that we have been unified by the indestructible work of the Trinity, it is my hope that we will walk in it. And may you walk in a matter worthy of your call. Through the gospel, we have been set free to love one another and to be honest and to be broken. And when we walk in this unity given to us by God, nothing will be able to stop this church When we walk in unity, God will show his glory to this community. And the potential that we can accomplish together is unthinkable. Therefore, let us lock our minds and our hearts and our hands and our feet and be of one mission of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I pray that God would be made much of as we walk in unity with one another. Pray with me. 
Lord, you have called us to walk in unity with one another. Lord, we know that that unity must first happen with you. I pray for those in this room that who have yet to embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ, that they would embrace it today and be reconciled to you and be part of what you have created by your gospel, your church. Lord, I pray that we would be of one mind, we would be of one mission, that is to make much of Jesus and that we would put all other things aside. I pray for those in this congregation, time to talk about those things and to walk in love and unity with one another. Lord, give us grace for the hard conversations we must have. And we pray that you will be magnified in all that we do.